The Old Testament reading for today is in Isaiah 11, 1 through 10, and it's found in, on page 683 um, in your pew Bible. The righteous reign of the branch. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. This is the word of the Lord. Make sure this is on. Oh, can you hear me? Oh, great. That's great. I remember this time to turn it off mute. Um, good morning. Uh, I get to talk to you about tyranny today, um, so it'll be fun. We're in the middle of our Advent series on the hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. As you guys already know from the rest of the service, um, the first week I talked about longing um, and mispronounced a German word, as I was informed later by Jessica, um, about longing and longing for Emmanuel. And then last week, uh, Pastor Mike talked to us about longing for deliverance from bondage. Um, and longing for our, our Lord of might to come and deliver us from bondage. I try not to steal too much from him, but uh, my sermon today kind of intersects with that idea. Um, it's very similar. This week we're talking about the third verse. O come, thou rod of Jesse, free, thine own from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell thy people save and give them victory over the grave. And this verse, like I said, picks up on a theme from the first week, um, it's, a, it's a theme that was kind of, I didn't focus on it too much, um, where it says, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. And the kind of captivity that the first, first verse talks about is explained, it's kind of extrapolated here. The people of God are captive to the tyranny of Satan, the depths of hell, so we can infer sin. And the consequences of sin, the grave, death. So Satan, sin, and death. Martin Luther 
in talking about these three ideas, these three enemies that show up throughout Scripture, called them the unholy trinity, Satan, sin, and death. Called them the unholy trinity. And, you know, I'm not saying that in the way that, like, they're equivalent to the trinity or they're, you know, kind of equal but opposite thing going on, but just that they're three enemies that we see showing up throughout Scripture from Genesis 2 and on. And the hymn says that we live in the, the tyranny, which the dictionary calls the cruel and oppressive rule of those three enemies. You, right now, in the tyranny of sin, death, and Satan. And, and in a very real way, we live in that right now. And this hymn is crying out to God to bring freedom. And we're going to look at the passage from Isaiah 11. That's where the rod of Jesse comes from that we um, heard read by Katha. And we're going to see where that takes us. So the problem is we have the, the tyranny of the unholy trinity. And we have a desperate need for freedom from the tr- tyrannical rule of sin, death, and Satan. And so to look for the answer to that problem, we're going to look at Isaiah 11 to see what the rod of Jesse is. So, um, if you want to turn there with me, if you're not already, it's on page 683 in your pew Bible. Isaiah 11.1. 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. So God has repeatedly, just to stop there for a minute, God has repeatedly used the imagery of a stump in Isaiah for his judgment on people for their sin and rebellion against him. So we have a, we have a stump of Jesse. But the problem with saying there's a stump of Jesse, is that God had promised David that his throne would endure forever. He had promised King David that his throne would endure forever. And so God here is saying, I promised David, Jesse's son, that his throne would endure forever, and I'm keeping that promise. I'm giving you a live shoot out of the stump from the brokenness of the stump of Jesse. I'm giving you a live shoot. And I'll bring a descendant of David who will sit on the throne and I will keep my promise. That's that's what's going on here, okay? Verse two, and the spirit of Yahweh shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of Yahweh, and his delight shall be in the fear of Yahweh. So notice something kind of cool here. So here we have the plan of the Father God the word, the plan, the ordination of the Father God to send the Son of God, born as descendant of David, with the Spirit of God, like it says here, resting upon him and providing him with the power to act as the true king, great David's greater son. So in answer to the unholy trinity, sin, death, and Satan's tyrannical rule, we see a plan by the trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit at work to bring a true king to us who acts not with tyranny, not with oppressive rule, but with wisdom and understanding and counsel and might and the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Because we live under the tyranny of sin, death, and Satan, we live in a world of injustice, a world where our court systems, our, our legal systems, even in the best cases, we have one of the best legal court systems that has ever existed on the face of the earth, and yet we can even see that even in the best of cases, that can be warped and distorted to favor those who are rich and powerful. 
where we view any claims of the character of our rulers with a cynicism that doubts any kind of ruler claiming to be righteous and faithful. Let's stop. I don't know if you all have done this before, but let's stop and pray. God, we do pray for our city. We pray for um, anyone who uh, might need emergency services right now. Be with the responders and be with those um, that uh, they are going to. God, um, we pray for peace in our city, um, the kind of peace that this passage points us to. Amen. We view any claims of the character of our rulers with cynicism that, that doubts righteousness and faithfulness from our leaders. It's a big thing in the news right now. It's a big thing in the news, it seems like, every day. We live in a world where, even in the best of cases, equity kind of sounds like a pipe dream. Oh, equity, that'd be nice. Fairness. And to pull that out a little bit, the, the phrase, life isn't fair, it gets thrown around a lot. Life isn't fair. It's a pretty common saying, and it's usually said to people in hard or unfair situations, so they can kind of get over it. Life isn't fair. Deal with it. And yeah, we need to get over it sometimes. We, we need to have grit, and we need to persevere, and we don't want to be in a victim mentality that keeps us stuck, but we also need to acknowledge and mourn that life in this fallen world, marred by the tyranny of sin, death, and Satan, is not fair. It's deeply unfair. It's deeply unjust. It isn't how it's supposed to be. It's not how God designed it. We, norm we, we normalize tyranny because it's all we know. But we should be struck by how deeply darkened this world is by unfairness and injustice under the tyrannical rule of sin, death, and Satan. What does God promise in response to that here? Look with me at verse 3. He promises a ruler that shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he'll judge the poor and he'll decide with equity for the meek of the earth. So he's promising a ruler that's not marked by the tyranny that we're so normalized to, that we're so used to, but a ruler that has an otherworldly equity, a righteousness and a faithfulness that isn't just a front for selfish gain or a means to grasp power, but a kind of righteousness and faithfulness that runs to the very core of his character and the might that he rules with. That's the kind of king that God promises us here. And ultimately, we see what that ruler will bring. So in verses 6 through 9, with all the, you know, animals and the pretty fuzzy imagery of, you know, the cuddly um, animals that usually eat each other, that we talk about with the kids, um, snuggling up together. Uh, some, some have taken that passage, um, there, there's a couple different interpretations, of course. Um, some have taken that passage to be literally about animals um, being cuddly um, in the end. But I, th I think since this is prophetic, and I'd also argue eschatological, like having to do with the last things, that we should kind of view this imagery in the context of what Isaiah was talking about in this book of Emmanuel in Isaiah, from, in, in the section that we're in, from uh, chapters 7 to 12. The whole context of these chapters in this book of Emmanuel is the coming conflict that I mentioned two weeks ago in the, in the first week in this series with Assyria and Syria and the northern kingdom and the coming war. That the tiny nation of Judah that's being spoken to here feels like a sheep among wolves, a goat among leopards, a calf among lions, small prey among large predators on each side 
So God is saying, he's promising them. He's giving them a hope. It's not going to be like this forever. You're not going to feel like prey forever. No, I'm going to smash. It's not because he's going to smash all of them so that Judah just becomes this big superpower. That they just become the predator. It's not what God's doing. God's saying, this is going to happen because all nations will eventually bend the knee to the shoot of Jesse. This true and good king who rules not with tyranny, but with mercy and grace. And that's what verse 10 says, uh, kind of backing up that interpretation. Verse 10, in that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. So that sounds great, right? Peace on earth. Peace on earth. But how do we get there? We need the verse that I skipped, verse 4. Looking down to kind of that second part of the verse. We need the rod of Jesse. Verse 4, and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. So the root of Jesse uses, so we started with the root of Jesse, verse 1, uses the rod of Jesse to strike the earth. And the word rod here is kind of interesting. So the word for rod here can be a synonym for the word for shoot in verse 1. So it can mean literally, you know, just like our Jesse tree symbolizes a shoot, a, a, a little lively branch shooting up out of the tree, out of the stump. But it's also used many times in the Old Testament as a rod, like you would think of a rod that you would um, smash stuff with, that you would walk with. Um, we have that imagery from shepherds, right? They use the rod to um, smash away, whack away anything like a wolf that would come to take the sheep, that would attack their sheep. And in Isaiah, the rod imagery is used in that kind of like whacking and smashing way to give imagery to God's action and judgment. So picture the root. So there's a root springing up out of the stump and then that root grows into a rod. That's kind of what we're looking at here. And while this could refer to the judgment of the nations in, in some way, because it does lead to the peace of the nations in verses 6 through 10, I'd argue that ultimately this is about smashing, God smashing those enemies that we talked about before, sin, death, and Satan. I said on the first week that you can trace the theme of Emmanuel, God with us, through Scripture, but you can do that too with this um, cosmic battle between the Trinity and the unholy Trinity, sin, death, and Satan. In the garden, Satan as a snake helps to tempt Adam and Eve to sin, Satan, sin, which leads to the curse of death and the tyranny of the fallen world. So God in Genesis 3 promises a snake crusher, a baby that would come to crush the head of the snake, to crush the tyrant. And then we see this in Isaiah. We see these enemies pop up in the midst of tyranny. And then we look at Revelation 12, which I preached on, I think, I preached a weird sermon on this last year about this time, where we see the Christmas story told in light of this cosmic battle where Jesus is born as a baby right in front of the dragon who is waiting to devour him, right in front of this satanic beast who rules the land. And then we see the, to the, the end of the story. In Revelation, we see sin, death, death, and Satan 
cast down forever. So we can trace that throughout the Bible. And that's what verses 6 through 10 point to here, that end. No more mourning, no more crying, no more pain anymore. Baby Jesus steps on the snake so that, as we see in verses 6 through 9 here, babies can play with snakes. How does that happen? How does the rod strike? How does King Jesus overthrow the tyrannical rule of the unholy trinity? So like I said, we have the imagery of the shoot coming out of the stump. And we have the imagery of that shoot being a rod that's used for smashing and striking. So if you've already pictured that, I want you to picture that rod turning into a cross. Because Jesus beat the tyrannical rule of the unholy trinity. He beat it upside the head with the cross. This kind of gets into a niche theological subject that I could kind of rant about, but I'll, I'll limit myself on that. If you do want to read more on that, um, Neil wrote an awesome article in the Advent devotional uh, that comes right after uh, Nicole Brown's awesome devotional about this week, if you want to um, kind of dig into, those, uh, into that theology more. But um, we've always believed that Jesus, like Christians have always believed that Jesus saves us, Right? But there's been a kind of theological question of, like, how does that happen? How do, how do we actually get saved? Um, and the idea that we focus on a lot is substitutionary atonement, that Jesus was our substitute um, bearing our sin on the cross. In the early church, they did believe that, and they said that um, several times. But uh, in the early church, there was more of an emphasis on the idea of Christus victor is what they called it. Jesus as the victor who beats sin, death, and Satan. And sometimes these and other theories have kind of been made to compete against each other as theologians like to argue about these things, right? Like, oh, it has to be this or it has to be this. But let me read uh, this passage from Colossians 2, 13 to 15. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Substitutionary atonement, right? But what does that accomplish? Looking at that next verse. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in the cross. So these two work together. Jesus beat sin and Satan. He beat Satan and the demonic realm by taking away Satan's one largest main weapon that he uses day and night. In Revelation 12, it says, the dragon accuses us before God day and night. That's a scary thought. That's even scarier than the idea of a dragon to me, honestly. That Satan would be naming my sins in front of God, accusing me before the Father. And what Jesus does is he takes that weapon and he rips it out of his hands. And then Jesus rises in victory, defeating death. That's the rod smashing, the rod of Jesse smashing the unholy trinity. And that's how the root of Jesse frees us from the tyranny that we've been accustomed to. It rips the weapon of sin from Satan's hand, and Jesus rises again in victory over death. The baby born before the dragon, that's what Christmas is for, to free us from tyranny. So what do we do with that? So that's a lot of stuff that you've probably heard 
before, but where do we go with this? I mean, that all sounded probably pretty, I don't know, a lot of it is like really cosmic and big level and abstract. What are you supposed to do with that? What do we do with that? I have three ideas here, three things to kind of take away from this. My first one, acknowledge the tyranny. Acknowledge the tyranny and your desperate need for help, for freedom from it. Mike last week talked about bondage and how we are under bondage. He talked about the uh, illustration from China, how they might not have even felt it for a while. We don't always feel the tyranny. I think sometimes we acknowledge the tyranny of sin. We, come, we have these bad times in our lives where we mess up really bad. We come to the end of ourselves. We acknowledge we're in deep trouble. Maybe we're sinning and we don't know how to stop. There's enslaved, enslavement to patterns of sin. Sometimes we acknowledge that. I think sometimes we acknowledge the tyranny of Satan and um, demonic forces that we can't see. Possibly much less than even sin. But sometimes we can maybe sense that there's more going on than meets the eye. Sometimes. And I think sometimes we acknowledge the tyranny of death, especially when somebody close to us dies or someone who dies who really wasn't supposed to. Maybe they were young. And we come face to face with our mortality sometimes. But mostly I think we try to distance ourselves from tyranny. Tyranny becomes so normal that we don't realize it or we just push it to the corners. With our sin, we can easily minimize it. Oh, it's not that bad. Look at that guy. He's doing a lot worse than I am. With Satan, uh, Charles Taylor says that we um, live lives that are buffered from any other forces like this, that we, um, that we kind of don't see ourselves as affected by anything outside of ourselves. And so we can, no, that doesn't have anything to do with me. With death, we, as a society, try to push that to the peripheral. We push the tyranny of death away from us. We have, and I'm not saying, I'm not speaking to the morality of this right now, but we have nursing homes that, you know, we don't live with the oldest members of our society anymore like we used to. We don't want to think about death. We push it to the, to the margins. And I think if you don't feel the longing for freedom this morning, that might be part of the reason. If you don't feel the tyranny, you're not going to feel the longing for the freedom from the rod of Jesse. If you don't feel longing, it might be because you don't actually acknowledge the tyranny. Some of you might know that I live in, and I'm, I'm stretching this word a little bit, right? I'm sorry for that, but I live in the tyranny of blindness or near blindness. So naturally, if I was like looking out at you, I could not, maybe with Gordon, because he's always up there too. Um, but for the rest of you, you know in, um, in the Bible, in the Gospels, when Jesus heals uh, the blind man and he starts to look out for the first time and he says everybody looks like fuzzy trees walking around, that's kind of what you guys would look like to me. I wouldn't be able to make out any one of you. That's how bad my eyesight is. So I wear contacts all the time. It's actually really bad. People make fun of me for it. I've had these contacts that are currently in my eyes I don't know, maybe for like four or five months now. It's really bad. I was talking to one of my um, friends who was studying optometry, um, and he was like, you know, someday you're going to have to come to me for surgery to like get those things out and 
like fix your eyes, and I'm not going to give you a discount because I've already warned you about this. Like, it's really bad. Um, it's a problem. And I can honestly go weeks without even remembering that I have contacts in. I just kind of assume my eyesight is okay. I can spend weeks without acknowledging my desperate need for help, for good eyesight. I can go weeks without acknowledging that, just assuming everything's okay, not acknowledging the problem. And that's kind of how we are with this tyranny of the unholy trinity. We don't acknowledge the problem. We just kind of normalize it. We go on, we assume. Our longing for freedom will fall far short of the kind of longing, this deep kind of yearning that the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, communicates if we don't acknowledge our tyranny. So acknowledge the tyranny of sin in your life with as clear eyes as you can. Not, you know, I've got problems, but, but clearly looking yourself in the mirror. Acknowledge the tyranny of Satan. This one can be kind of hard. Like I said, the philosopher Charles Taylor says that we live um, buffered lives. We buffer ourselves from any ideas that we're affected by anything else. I think of, I don't know if you've read um, the Space Trilogy by C.S. Lewis, but he actually talks about this a lot, that um, I, I'm actually thinking of uh, the book Paralandra, where the main character, um, Ransom, has just come back, and C.S. Lewis himself is like going to meet with Ransom, and he's going to like join into this cosmic mission that's ultimately kind of like for the Lord, right? And he's, a, he's, he's like beat down by all of these ideas of, man, do I really want to meet with him? Like, is he really telling me the truth? Is, is this whole story, it seems really crazy? And he's attacked by all of these ideas that didn't come from himself. It's a scary thought that not all our circumstances or thoughts are fully directed by us. Peter tells us to beware on the lookout for Satan who wishes to devour us like a roaring lion. I think sometimes we need to think about that a little bit more and submit to the Lord in that. We need to acknowledge the tyranny of death. Instead of living like our time here is endless, the Bible tells us to number our days. There's a Latin phrase, memento mori, Remember your death, or remember that you will die. That's not a fun thing for me to say, and that's not a fun thing for you to hear. But ultimately, it's meant to encourage sobriety and urgency and living like the days that we have here matter. It's important. Acknowledge death, acknowledge sin, acknowledge Satan. Now, when I say that, what you're going to be tempted to do, because we're in America and you're human, is you're going to want to make a to-do list. You're going to want to, you, you know, you hear me say, you have a sin problem. Well, okay, I'll, I'll white-knuckle that and I'll, I'll strike my sin down. You're, you'll hear me say, remember you'll die. And you'll say, oh man, I've got to catch up on a lot of things. I've got, I've got to start doing this and this and this. Oh, and I've got to fight Satan too. Christian, hear me say this. You are not the rod of Jesse. My grandpa's name was Delbert. It was not Jesse. You may be the root of Delbert or Roland or Sebastian, but you are not the rod of Jesse. We need to surrender. This is, this is my second point. We need to surrender and sit in his victory. He is the victor. It's Christus victor, not Sam is victor. 
or Gardenus Victor, or Silvanus Victor, Christus Victor. And we get to join him. We get to sit and we get to join him in his victory until it becomes ours. Number three, freely participate in the destruction of sin, death, and Satan, knowing that the battle is won. The rod of Jesse smashing sin, death, and Satan. We get to participate in the destruction of injustice. We get to participate in the destruction of tyranny until death is dead once and for all. So when we confront, when we look at that, it can be tough to acknowledge that tyranny. It's tough for us to not be in a position where we're in control. It's tough for us to feel that oppression. But we don't do that as those without hope. So Paul, in the passage that we read from Romans, um, this is where he, Paul actually refers to this root of Jesse. So Paul quotes, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations, and him the Gentiles will hope. And Paul goes on to say, so this is Paul riffing off that idea of the root of Jesse arising to rule. And Paul says, may the God of hope, this is the very next verse in Romans 15, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So this Advent, I want you to acknowledge the tyranny. Acknowledge your desperate need for the rod to free you. Sit in Jesus' victory and participate in his ongoing destruction of tyranny with overflowing hope. Let's pray. Lord, It's tough to live in this world where we still have to deal with our sin and others' sin and Satan and his attacks and hatred for us and with death. But God, you do not leave us without hope. You leave us with a story. You give us a story and you give us victory and you give us power. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to acknowledge our need for you that you would help us to sit in the victory of the rod of Jesse and that you would help us to participate with you, not as people who have to earn your love or earn the victory, but as people who get to come alongside you in your victory. We pray that you would help us to participate in this destruction of evil and injustice in our world. Amen.